This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Lacey. And Jason Clark. From Bourbon House, and you're listening to The Cook Rocks with Jay Scott. Money, everybody. Welcome back to the Hook Rocks. I'm your host, Jay Scott, with another episode for you guys and gals to listen to. We got a great interview coming up with Doug Pinnock from King's S talking about his solo album. So excited to present that to all of you. Hope everybody had a good weekend. It's the night before hockey season, folks. I am excited. We are also preparing for the first ever Hook Rocks Fantasy Hockey League. So that's going to be happening tonight. We're going to be drafting uh, our teams, and the season starts tomorrow. So we are very excited to get that going. I tried getting this going last year, but I just think with the pandemic and people's lack of interest in certain things uh, just didn't allow it for it to happen. But here we are. Wanted to also mention, as I always do, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great family of music-related podcasts. As I mentioned, most of my episodes in the beginning, please check out my fellow podcasters, Mistress Carrie, Shout Out Loudcast, Cobras and Fire, Martin Popoff, Vinny Apice, Carmen Apice, Ron and Esty on the Hanging and Banging podcast. 
plenty of other great music podcasts on that platform. If you have not checked out The Real Me, which is a collective of inspiring stories of teens with cancer that have found inspiration and healing through music with Roger Daltrey, it is tremendous. So please check that out. Again, The Real Me. Look it up on PantheonPodcast.com. Follow them at Pantheon Pods on Twitter and also on Facebook, Pantheon Podcast. But any of those platforms should have information for you to go and check it out. But it is tremendous. So please do. Please follow us on Twitter at The Hook Rocks. Follow us wherever you do get your podcast. Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, wherever. Don't forget to set your phone to automatic download so you get the latest Hook Rocks podcast right to your phone whenever it drops. So you don't got to go searching for it. It's boom, right there. It helps you out. Hook Rocks is always trying to trying to think, think for you. So do that. Follow us on Facebook or like us on Facebook, I should say, at The Hook Rocks. Gearing up for some great things coming in 2022, as I've mentioned. We're getting closer. We're, gosh, two and a half months away. So excited for that. And also the new, the new music that's been coming out. There's just been... So much great stuff happening in the world of rock music in 2021. I hope you are finding music that you like, new bands that interest you, because there's a lot of them, folks. And we talk about a lot of them here. We just did a couple of great interviews with The Warning. Their new EP, Mayday, is out as of last Friday. We also interviewed Derek Day from Classless Act. Music is coming from them after the first of the year, plus I think a new single by the end of the year. And we got Bourbon House coming up this week. I think we're going to be airing that on Wednesday. Great band from Wisconsin, up north here in Illinois. Look forward to seeing them also this Friday. Looking forward to checking that out. And also Sunday, going to be heading to the Black Label Society show. So that's exciting. Haven't seen them in a while, and I love Black Label because the great band is see live. I'd like to welcome in my next guest, who's been part of the fabric of rock and roll with his unique perspective, his unique lyrics, and his also a unique approach to his music. His new album, Joy Bomb, is out October 8th. And I'd like to welcome in Doug Pinnock. What's going on? Hey, good morning. It's still morning here in LA for a few, for about a twenty minutes. But uh, yeah, it's a beautiful day out, and I'm in a good mood. And it's always good to talk about yourself, like we all would like to do. So, so I'm glad you called, and I'm glad to talk about my breakfast. A quick correction: the album is out October fifteenth. So my mistake on that. But uh, that's all right. Glad to have you uh, on the show. Been a big fan of your music for a very long time. So this is a pleasure for me as well. Uh, We always do start the same way every time we have a first-time guest 
on the podcast, and that is what we're all about here. And just like every rock song that has a great hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Uh, for rock and roll, I think it was Bandit Gypsies by Jimi Hendrix, the live record. I think that's when I just felt like this can be possible because I heard what was going on in my head, uh, you know, soul music, funk music in the 70s. And, and, you know, as a guy in his early 20s, I wanted to hear, you know, my generation push that funk and that soul music a little bit harder and heavier. And so that's what drove me to, to, to try to make the funkiest or grooviest heavy music I could, you know. Where did it go from there? I mean, that's a, you know, Band of Gypsies, that's a big moment for a lot of people in rock history. It, a lot of musicians were inspired by Jimi Hendrix. From that moment, when did it become something that you wanted to do, get on stage being a band? Um, well, I don't remember everyone I wanted to because I've always been in front of people singing in contests as a child at school, at church. Uh, for some reason, my mom said I sang I could sing before I could talk. And, uh, and, and people have always said, Dougie, get up and sing this song. And I would just get up and sing and everybody always loved it. Um, so just, I've been doing that all my life. So if, if this is, I'm just doing what I've done. It's like looking at your face in the mirror, you know, all you see is you just got older and you hate everything about it. So, you know, that's what I think about, uh, what I do. Uh, I just do it. Bass is something that I've always loved. Uh, I was obsessed with bass all my life and always wanted to play bass and when I finally got the opportunity to get a bass when I was 22 actually I uh, picked the bass up and started playing but at that point I knew how to play bass in my head and I had a zillion riffs in my head and the whole aspect of bass playing because I just concentrated on bass my whole life pretty much from the time I was 10 when I first heard uh, the bass line on Why Do Fools Fall in Love by Frankie Lyman and the teenagers I was just a little kid but something about the way the tone and the way it made me feel so for me it's the combination of two I sing by default and luckily, you know, people really like it and want me to do it. So I've made a good career out of it. But there was never a moment when I thought, oh, I'm going to go out and do this and and become this or that. I just just kept doing what I did. And as I got older, I, when I, you see that there's fame and fortune in it also, you know, later on, I was in my 30s, I think, before I started to realize, oh, you can make money at this, lots of money. And, you know, so, you know, I went down that road like everybody else and, and uh, wanted to listen to the hit makers and the, the big people that produce you and all that kind of stuff. And I learned through them. But at the end of the day, uh, I still do what I do and it hasn't changed. I'm still me. And, and uh, there was never a decision to do this. It was just, it was never an afterthought. That's my, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> As this, you know, natural journey into music happened for you, what were some of your influences? You mentioned a couple already, but as far as bass playing goes, you know, how did you evolve with the influences that you were hearing in the player you are today? Well, uh, for, uh, 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 one thing about bass playing in soul music is in, in, in when I grew up, bass was like the loudest thing in everything, blues, uh, uh, gospel, everything around the black community. It seemed like bass was the dominant thing. So I always heard it. 
And I always found that groove and I always hummed my own bass lines when no one was around and I'd go walking and I'd hum bass lines. And so I had, it was just a combination of everything that I heard. There was no one specific person. I didn't even know the name of bass players or anything about them because this is in the fifties. Uh, and we didn't really have TV. We just had records. So we didn't even get to see these people play or anything unless it was something on TV, like American bandstand. So, so really it was all just what you heard and how you created it in your head. Um, when I was a teenager and I started listening to Motown music, uh, in the Stax Volk uh, era of the Memphis sound, the bass was really loud in those on those records and the early Atlantic stuff um, uh, with Aretha Franklin and people like that. Well, the bass was loud on those records too. So Chuck Rainey and uh, uh, Jamie Jamerson were the, one of the two bass players. Oh yeah, and Donald Duck Dunn. Those three guys were the bass, the house players of those different uh, uh, record labels. And so that's all the bass that I heard. So, you know, I soaked all three of those guys in and I know that I probably play something like them. And then uh, uh, Larry Graham came along on Graham Social Station like in 1971 and introduced slap plucking to us, which was a whole new thing. And so, you know, I started to learn to do that, but I never kept it up like we did or other people. Um, and, and then I heard a, a roundabout by Yes. And when, when I heard Chris Squire and how funky he could be, but yet how complicated he could be, and and how, yes, they did these harmonies over this complicated music, at that point, I was ready to go. I was I was I had all this music in my head that I just wanted to create and make from all those influences, and Jimi Hendrix, and Led Zeppelin, too. You know, that was a, that was a turning point. So there's a lot of it, there's a big combination of music. That's why I would say there was never any one real person. You're also known as mu- as much as you're known as a bass player. You're also known as a songwriter, uh, a lyricist. And it's always been my opinion that you have such a, a unique approach to writing lyrics to get your perspective or what you're trying to say in the song. Where did that come from in terms of the influence of songwriting? I have this, um, this to a fault, desire to make peace with everything, to find out why people feel the way they do, why the government works the way it does, why it doesn't, find all the facts so that I can make a truthful uh, conclusion. And when I'm right, things that's what I'm going in. I'm trying to say, hey everybody, look at this from another point of view, or maybe something that you didn't think of, or maybe here's some information that I've learned that may help you on with your life like it's helped me. And uh that's sort of the way I write music nowadays. Uh a lot of it also is, you know, in the early days when I was very depressed like anybody would be, you know, when you're young, I was uh I was just crying out saying, this is, this is what I'm going through. Is anybody going through this too? Um, and I don't know. I, it rang true to those people that, you know, were feeling the way I was feeling about a lot of different things, alienation, feeling not loved, being abused, you know, things that a lot of people won't sing about. And the thing also is that I don't know what else to sing about because I can only write lyrics about something that I'm going through 
or that I see. Uh, so they're, they're all very reflective as, uh, towards my attitude towards people that listen to the music and myself. And again, I, I really hardly ever write a song for someone else. It's usually just me observing something from my point of view with the truth that I know and trying to dispel the lies, you know, in, a, in an artistic way. Does that make sense? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Was it difficult for you to find that piece when you were writing this album because of everything happening in the world? No, not at all. The more, the more information i'm like uh, i'm like cnn or <laughs> whatever you know it's like give me information that i can sing about so i'm always my i'm just one of those people that just kind of feels everything and 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 i write from what i feel you know so during the pandemic i i felt the darkness and the fear of america you know you could go outside and you could just feel the tension and the uncertainty and and uh, so I, you know, some of those feelings I wrote songs about, you know, like uh, um, social distancing and things like that, or just, you know, sometimes, you know, I just want to hang out and have a good time with people what we can. And, you know, so you just write a song about going to have a good time when this is all over. So it's always about something that's happening. And hopefully, you know, in the early days, it was, uh, more universal. Like I look back now at songs that are relevant for today, even though I wrote them 30, 40 years ago. But uh, this new album, Joy Bomb, a lot of it, it has to do with exactly what we're going through. And I was kind of afraid that it might come out after the fact. Even though that's a terrible uh, thing to be afraid of because I want this pandemic to be over. But uh, I just didn't want some of the songs to relate to the pandemic after the fact I thought that would be just why write a song about after the fact you know you mentioned feeling you know or writing about what you feel whenever you're looking for that inspiration and there is a certain sense there is a certain sense of vulnerability when you do that because you're trying to tap into an emotion you're trying to tap into an emotion that it you know can be hard, can be difficult. This was a very unique time, and you know, you've been writing music now for decades. Was maybe not the challenge to write about what you were experiencing, but maybe the challenge was there a challenge in how hard the feelings were with, like you said, with the darkness because there was a lot of darkness with not just the pandemic. There was a toxic election. There was the 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 protests and riots across the country. There was a there was a lot going on. And you know, how did you navigate through that and come through on the other side? Um, navigate through that. I don't quite understand what you mean. Well, just a little bit more. You know, with all those emotions that you write about and all those feelings you have and everything pretty much coming at, at you, at society, at everything, and you, know, you mentioned that you write about the things that you experience or the things that you see, you give your perspective. What, you know, I mean, you mentioned that you know, there, there. This wasn't a difficult album to write because of what was what you were feeling. But was it hard yeah. to to you know kind of stop going down into that darkness and kind of pull yourself up and write a song to help it be therapeutic to what was happening? No, um, I write from a different place. I write down there, and then I get out. It gets me out of that that hole to be able to to get it out somehow. It's like, you know how we all need 
somebody to vent to sometimes. Uh, I always used to say, I'm, I'm like that little child in the bassinet screaming and yelling, somebody come and pick me up, just hold me. You know, I say that's, that's where it all comes from. It's just this, this place of you just laying there screaming and yelling and then you get it out and you're okay. And so that's what I do. I don't have to go anywhere to, to get darkness. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's plenty of it here. Um, and I think I, I try real hard in my songs to be positive, no matter how dark it gets. I always want to say there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I always believe that no matter what you're going through, can only get better. It may get worse, but it can only get better sooner or later. And I, and and it makes me hang on. I'm one of those type of people that don't give up on things to a fault. You know, I mean, sometimes I should, but but we're, we're those people that will go those twenty miles when we should have only went one with that person. You know, um, so you know, I, I like to write about what I've learned through that how far to go, how far not to go, you know, the, the, the differences between the roads that you're walking down, you know, and how you have to deal with people differently or what, you know what I'm saying? Or something you learned about yourself that you didn't know five years ago. It was an epiphany. And, you know, so I just read about them all, you know, there is no room inside a box. You know, I was, you know, I felt, I felt it, you know, I was like, oh, I am trapped, you know, there's no room in there, I gotta get out. And you know what I'm saying? And so they just, those are the songs that free me. And to be able to play them and sing them to other people is a, is a, uh, is the reward, I would say. Is it correct to say or correct to think that you use music or you use these moments to write a song to help you process and give you a perspective. Does the song lead your perspective or do you have a perspective that you are, you know, writing a song about beforehand? Well, you usually know by the time you get to the chorus, what the perspective is. You know, I'll, I'll say things in lyric uh, verses where I'm, their thoughts, um, maybe they might be disjoined or whatever. But when I say sing the chorus, the chorus is exactly what I'm trying to say. Either I know what I'm talking about, I don't, or what do you think? You know, or am I being stupid or is this cool? It's 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 all that, you know, because I know I'm speaking to someone. Uh, it's sort of like when you're having a conversation with just the two of us, we're talking just in general about life. So I'm sort of answering questions that you're giving me and, and we're uh, bouncing back and forth emotions and words and the way we say things, you know. So um, I, I just become myself in those songs and sing them and, and say the way I would say it to you if we were talking um, and and wait for the response, you know. As you look back and, you know, this is your fifth solo album and each solo album or each album that you put out is more or less kind of like a timestamp in a diary of where you're at in your life. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, when you, when you look back someday at Joy Bomb compared to the other albums, you know, what, what do you feel when you, when you look at the evolution of your solo work into this album that, you, that you're going to be releasing? Well, I would say any musician would want their next record to be better than the one before. And even though people think that they're um, 
uh, insulting you if they say, well, I like uh, this record better than your other records. You know, that's what you want to hear. Um, as an artist, if I, I want my music to be better and better. I don't want someone to go, oh, man, it's, it's just another dub record, but we love him, and it's good. I bought it. I put it in my on my shelf, you know? I want people to go, man, he's pushing the envelope. He's 71 years old, dude. He's still doing it. And that's what I want people to say. And if I'm not doing that, then, yeah, they, uh, you know, I want to hear that, too. But uh, that's that's my point uh, when it comes to being an old rocker. You know, uh, I, I've watched so many of my peers and so many even people my age just kind of fade away and start putting out mediocre music in the hunger and the desire to really do what they did when they first started is gone. And for me, every song I write is like the first song I ever wrote. I'm just excited about it, and I feel like, wow, another song. I can just slap that paint up there and, and make another color and see see if it works. You know, it, it's a joy. It's fun. Um, and also, it's a way to get all of my emotions out of me. You know, uh, it, it is a big outlet. Um, in the last two years also, you know, being stuck at home for two years, going nowhere, doing nothing, um, I learned a lot about myself and I found a few freedoms that in my, in, inside me that, uh, I didn't have before, you know, I did a different outlook on life, uh, just lots of new things that happened around me. And so I see things a little bit differently now, a bit more sarcastic even. Um, so, you know, so when I write now, I, I feel like the old man, a, a grumpy old man kind of making fun of the bullshit of the day <laughs> rather than be, than being so traumatized by it and wishing wishing that uh, we all could just get together and get along. Why can't we just all get along? I mean, that's a lot of what's in the back of everything I write about. But now I'm writing about, you know, nobody gives a fuck anyway and they're never going to see you know, we're, we're never going to really everybody agree on everything and everybody's not going to like you and people are going to hate you. So get over it and try to make the best of your life. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from now is get over the past and stop crying over over who hurt you and be an example and show the youngins that you can still do this because they're killing each other, killing themselves with from because they're scared to death because we're scaring them as old folks are, you know. We need to give them some encouragement and say, hey, you can fix this. Was there a different approach? I mean, you mentioned, you know, some differences as if you've evolved as an artist. But when you are putting the ideas together, the songs together for a solo album, is is the approach the same every time, you know, to kind of explore where your emotions at? Or was the approach different for this album? It's always the same because I don't write. I don't sit down and just write for something. I write. I'm always writing. Um, uh, all the records that I've, uh, solo records I've put out, some of those songs were 10 years old and some of them I wrote last week. Um, some of them were six months, you know, because I write all the time. And so uh, um, when it comes time for a King's X record or a solo record, I just go, okay, what do you got? And I'll pull out 30 songs and say, okay, I'll show the 30 songs to King's X and they'll pick, let them pick 10. 
so we'll do a King's X record and, you know, cause they write also. And then the rest of them, I go, I'll put them on my solo record. And then I go back to town and, uh, and basically just kind of rework them just a tiny bit and go, Oh, they, they don't like these songs. Well, if they don't like them, let me, let me spice them up just to make me feel better, you know? And so it gives me uh, a drive to go work on the others and put a little bit, you know, work a little harder on them. And then I usually put them on my solo records, which, uh, and it always makes me happy, you know, that I, I got an outlet to do this much music and there's people that will actually buy it. Is there plans to get on the road and, to, and tour for this album? Um, no, I haven't had plans, but I don't have plans for anything right now since the pandemic. So uh, there's no, nobody's doing anything really. I've got a, another side project called Grinder Blues and our record just came out last week, I think it was. Um, and so, you know, everyone wants to tour, but um, it's just an undecided thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like I could say, yeah, let's go do it and then get COVID and come home. Or I could go out and do it and have a good time and nothing happens. Um, it's it's just a decision that we're all going to have to come to make uh, sometime sooner or later. Some, some, I'll be later probably than sooner because I know people that are out there playing right now. I don't think I'm ready yet. Yeah, it's really tough because there is, you know, it seems like in some areas the numbers are getting better. In some areas they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then it's almost like Wakama, you know, that game where you, you know, you hit the thing down and another one pops up. It's like when one area gets better, the another area gets worse. So there's really, yeah. it's really hard to gauge of, of what you can do and where you can tour. Yeah, what's weird for me, too, is that since we've been off the road for almost two years, you know, I'm, uh, that's been two years. I was 69 when it happened. I'm 71 now. So. So it's like I haven't been going out playing all the time. I haven't been using that energy and that jumping around and pushing myself. I'm home, I'm, you know, working on the garden and stuff. And, you know, I try to work out and exercise, but there's nothing like getting on stage for an hour and a half and sweating your guts out. It's just, it's healthy. It, it cleans you. It's good for you. It's good for your frustration. I mean, playing live is a savior to my body and mental health. But when you've been home for two years, all of a sudden you go, can I still do this? You know, I'll sing one song and get dizzy in my head because I run out of breath, you know, and I'm going, How, you know, and I keep thinking, you know, what I have to do to get my body back up, running, you know, to do this. And you just think, oh, maybe I, this, maybe this is what retirement means, you know, but, but uh, I know that when the door opens and, you know, when they say, okay, let's go do this, I'm going. Um, I'm not stopping because I promised myself I'm going to rock and roll until I die. When I can stop running up a, a flight of stairs, that's when I'm going to go, okay, I guess you're old. The new album, Joy Bomb, out October 15th on Rat Pack Records. Doug Pinnock won, like I said, uh, part of the fabric of rock and roll history over the last three, four decades. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. You're welcome. (laughs) All right, everybody. I'm Jay Scott. That's Doug Pinnock. This is another episode of The Hook Rocks. Take care. Stay strong. Stay healthy. We will talk to you soon.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.